Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Mindsets Podcast. I'm your host, Angus Cook, and this is the first one of 2024. 2024 is set up to be an incredibly exciting year for the podcast. For those of you that have been here since the start will know that the podcast isn't even a year old yet, and for most of that time, I was actually away traveling, which made it incredibly difficult to record with podcasts. So since I've been back, I've been doing my best to get some content out there and, and kind of learn what I want to do with the podcast as well as learning from you guys what you're interested in. I think the biggest thing for the podcast this year is there's definitely going to be some changes and they're good changes. This is through a bit of advice from you guys that follow and those that interact with the social media on the Instagram and on TikTok. There's a lot of information that I receive from there about what you guys are interested in and that's what I'm going to be talking about before we get into today's episode. So first and foremost, the, uh, the, the format of the podcast uh, is going to change slightly. I'm aware in the past I've done some longer episodes uh, and kind of just let the conversation go. And while that, you know, it isn't necessarily a bad thing, I think it's better to keep episodes to a shortened time with the aim of around 45 to 60 minutes from here on. This one today may be slightly longer as a result of me giving this introduction to 2024. So do bear with me on that. However, the other things that are changing going forward is slight. Uh, format changes in a schedule that I'll be following in the podcast. Now, that's not going to mean that the, the podcast is scripted at all. That's far from what I want. However, there will be some slots in place for me mentally, timing-wise, of what to talk about, whether that might be someone's sport, someone's personal history away from sport, also their mental health and, and how they cope with things, uh, and focusing on the key things that you guys seem to really care about. So, by all means, please do continue to send feedback. It's very, very useful. I can continue developing the podcast. One of the other things that I'd like to do was uh, get you guys involved more. And uh, every week there will be a post out, usually on an Instagram story. Uh, so if you guys aren't following, shoot over to at mindsets underscore podcast, drop a follow there because this is your opportunity to get involved. What I do is I will be posting a profile of the person who's upcoming because guess what? You guys don't get to know ahead of time who's coming on. What that will mean is you can then ask questions for that sort of profile. I'll just select a few, usually three to five questions, and uh, I'll ask the guest. And we'll see if we can throw them off guard, if they've got any good responses for your questions. I think it's really important. As well as that, I'm going to be asking some of the guests to ask questions for the next guest, also not knowing who's going to be coming on. So there should be some good continuity for you guys to follow between episodes. That's something I really like the idea of. As well as that, in terms of the page on social media, whether that's TikTok, Instagram, YouTube, that kind of thing, there's going to be some changes there too. So expect some different forms of content coming in. Uh, and like I said, at the end of all of the podcasts and anything like that, any likes, shares, uh, it's, it's unbelievable how far that goes and you'll never know how much that means to me. Uh, and I do really appreciate all of them. Now, there will also be some other small changes that creep into the podcast this year and you'll probably notice them if you haven't watched one on youtube yet i do recommend it the production quality is improving as the sound quality improves as well so without further ado we'll get into our first episode of this year today i am joined by uh, a colleague of mine at my workplace not a colleague on the podcast and uh this his name is jack diggle um, jack is someone i have got to know really in the, in the last four to five months um, and I became very aware of his uh, attraction towards 
talking about mental health and being an ambassador for things like Movember. Um, but I was never really sure as to quite why um, he had so much interest in mental health. Uh, but he's also very active. He does things like CrossFit. His, his background is very much sport through uh, all of his school and, and growing up. Um, and there's some very, very fundamental lessons to be learned from his past uh, and some of his social experiences. So without further ado, I will hand over to Future Me and I will let Future Me introduce Future Jack. Thanks very much, guys. And uh, I look forward to 2024. Yes, we are back. Welcome back to the Mindsets Podcast. I'm your host, Angus Cook. As I've mentioned, I'm joined today by Jack Diggle. Um, now, just before we get into it, uh, one thing you might be able to tell is my voice isn't completely normal. Uh, I have been struggling with losing my voice this week, but it's it's there or thereabouts for today. Don't worry, you're not going to have to listen to that too much because I'm not the guest, Jack is. Um, one thing to note about Jack is that Jack is Scottish. However, the Scottish accent doesn't come through. I'll let you explain that. Um, so Jack, do you want to give us a bit of an introduction to yourself? Yeah. So my name's Jack. Uh, the reason I know this lovely chap, uh, we work together. Um, but sort of more of an introduction to me. And as you've probably tell the lack of Scottish accent, I, uh, I was born in Scotland. I was raised in Scotland. Um, but at the age of, I think it was seven, I was sent away to a boarding school up in, uh, Edinburgh. Clearly the parents didn't love me too enough. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, I sent away to a boarding school up in Edinburgh. Um, and there were quite a lot of international students and a fair few of the teachers were, you know, from England or all over the place. So none of them really had the, the Scottish accent. Um, so I was never really around it. Uh, and then after school, it was uni in Newcastle. So you always got the Geordie accent down there and then, yeah, down to London now, um, where, yeah, really no, no accents at all. Um, it does come out every now and again, though, um, particularly if I'm in the pub having had a few beers. And uh, yeah, when Scotland are playing rugby, it comes out pretty thick and strong. That it's classic. Yeah, yeah it's exactly. that uh, loyalty to the country. You have to show some way that you're Scottish if it's not coming out in the accent. Yeah, exactly. Okay. If, the, if the jersey I'm assuming you're wearing. And the kilt. Uh, well, obviously. Jesus. Okay. <laughs> um, anyway, so let's go, let's go back to Scotland then. Um, this podcast being, you know, the main two topics are, are sport and, and mental health as well, because I have a personal opinion they're very closely related. Mm -hmm. um, sport is usually what people tend to remember before they remember mental health. Uh, obviously, at a very young age, we all think of the sport that we played. We don't think of the, the mental health issues we had. Yep. So if we go back to early life then in Scotland, before you went away to boarding school, um, how were you sort of introduced to sport and what sort of sports were you doing at a young age? Um, so my parents are very sporty. So I've always been around sport. Um, Dad's had the same tennis ball, which has been going for 22 years now. Um, there's been some swap in, swap outs, but yes, I've always just been around it. Um, and one of the things that Dad and all his mates, Mum, their mates do, is on usually it's usually the second or third of January. You know, once people have sort of recovered from New Year's, um, we generally get a game of about 40 aside hockey on the beach. Um, so this was just sort of the, the start of sport that I you know remember. Um, playing a very loosely ruled game, you know, the hockey where you're hooking people's feet, you're dribbling the ball a bit. Um, so yeah, that was, that was sort of the start of sport for me. Okay. And I appreciate that when you go to sort of boarding school, you're obviously exposed to a lot more sports, that sort of thing. Um, interesting question. I never went to boarding school. I have friends that did. I played yeah. rugby with friends that went to boarding school, that sort of thing. Um, what's that like? 
being sent away. You said you were seven. Yeah, yeah seven. So uh, as a seven-year-old, you leave home. Yep. I can imagine the first night, it's like, oh, this is cool. No parents. But how long before that doesn't feel the same way? So my mum would kill me if I, if I actually said I was sent away. Basically, my brother was going to go away to boarding school. But mum said, do you want to wait around a couple of years, stay at home? Or do you want to go with your brother? And I think I surprised my mum when I said, I'll just go with Thomas now. Um, but yeah, first night, not awesome at all. First night, pretty rough, actually. Um, I remember because in the, in boarding schools, what you generally have, you have like a house mother. Um, this is obviously, it's not your mum. But it's just sort of a, generally the role is filled by a, a woman. Um, and they're just kind of there to sort of be the sort of caring person. Um, and luckily, the house mother at the school was actually a really good mate of my granny's. So I already knew her. Um, and so me and my brother, when we arrived at school, you know, we were, and mum and dad left, we were pretty sad. Um, you know, as you say, being away from home and that kind of thing. So I, I just, I remember bawling my eyes out um, and that kind of thing. But then, you know, after a couple of days, you get a bit distracted by all the fun stuff that's going on. Um, cause, yeah. And so do, do they, um, I, they've got to keep you busy, really. I mean, especially young, you've got to keep distracted. I have experience um, when I was, working out in the Alps for a short period of time. Um, it was my responsibility after all ski lessons and stuff were done was to take some of the the ski school, the sort of school groups that came out on their ski holidays. I used to take them sledging, that sort of thing, keep them entertained, keep them distracted from missing their families. Yeah. Was there an element to that? And was it sport that was used or was it other things? I can still tell you my like schedule. Oh, really? From like day one. So we were up at 10 past seven in the morning. Um, we were expected to be out of the boarding house by half past seven, away to the, the sort of main canteen to go and have breakfast. Expected back in the boarding house by about 20 past eight to then have the house meeting, roll call taken. Um, that's where you get all, sort of all your updates, you know, what's going on in the day, if there's any special things happening in the week. Then it was 8.50 was first lesson. You then worked all the way till 10.50 and then you got a 20 minute break. Uh, then from 11.15 to 1.15, that was another set of lessons. Uh, and then depending on what kind of day it was, you either had then a three-hour block of sport um, or you had uh, another two-hour block of lessons and then sport. Um, and so you'd generally be dinner at 5.36-ish. Um, and then we had prep sessions from, I think it was 6.30 till 7.30 or 8. Um, and then you had sort of the, the hour of free time in the evening where you could just go do whatever you wanted. There was a TV, you go watch that, ping pong table, pool, that kind of thing. So cool. keep you pretty busy. As obviously, if you're going in at age seven, your brother was older than you. And, and what, what age did you leave that boarding school? So I left boarding school uh, just before my 18th birthday, but I was a little bit young for the year. Okay, so I can imagine based on the rules in some sports, they don't let you do certain sports when you're when you first went to boarding school, how did they build up your sports and, and what sort of different sports did they get you doing as you grew up? Or was it based on your interest? Based on the interest. I I was really lucky with the school I went to. They had loads of facilities for everything. Um, like based in Edinburgh, I think they've got 99 acres, you know, wow. seven rugby pitches, athletics field, all that kind of thing. Um, so it was really what you're interested in. Um, I remember... The, the sort of rules were everybody had to do rugby um, and we do, did that in the first term and second term. Um, and then third term, you either did cricket or athletics. 
Um, but they also had other things like tennis academy, golf academy, where that would replace the rugby or the cricket and the athletics kind of thing. And yeah, as you sort of progress through the school, that's when sort of more sort of options would sort of become available. Um, so there was a clay pigeon ground about an hour, hour's drive away, which in Scotland is considered close. <laughs> um, so you could do that once you sort of got more into the upper school, but then you could start doing squash, fives, all that kind of thing. But yeah, when you when you started, it was very much, here's rugby, here's cricket, you know, get you nice and fit, get you used to playing that. Because we, we were one of the top rugby schools as well. And I think that's, uh, that's partially because they got us started pretty young. Yeah, true. And one thing that would also be interested, obviously, like I said, a couple of minutes ago, I didn't go to boarding school. Right. So I have no understanding of what that felt like. Obviously, when you were young, you said you were actually really sad. Yeah. For me, it would have been like, oh, no parents. <laughs> um, but I can understand that. With sport, when I was at school, yeah. um, it was interesting. In school, I had a group of friends that were usually in my class because we had forms. Yeah. And then when I would go and play sport outside of school, it wouldn't necessarily be the same friends. Um but I can appreciate if you were pretty much living with some people, you wouldn't necessarily be doing the same sport with all of them. Did your friendship groups cross over or were they still relatively separate? How did that kind of work? So you did have sort of friendship groups. You get the people that generally hang out together, but also because you were playing sport with everyone, you were just kind of mates with everyone. Um, in some years, you actually had rugby teams, which were maybe two years put together and you'd have sort of four or five rugby teams made out, made out of all that. Um, so it was just kind of normal. You're just always with your mates, you know, whether that be in lessons or playing on the sports field or anything like that. Has that gravitated you more towards um, team sports then throughout yeah. your sporting life rather than solo sports? Yeah, I've generally always played a team sport. Um, okay. The only the only sport really that has been an individual would be shooting and boxing. Now, I'm aware that, that boxing followed some interesting decisions in, before you started boxing, really. Yeah. Um, and I think people that have played contact sport can attest, you know, there's there's a lot of risks yeah. um, that you, you put yourself forward for. And a lot of those can just be broken bones, bruises, yeah. feeling like you've been hit by a car the day after every single game. It happens. But there's also some more severe dangers, which yeah. you've experienced. Yeah, so it's the, the classic C word, um, concussions. So I remember I had my first concussion. Uh, I was probably... About 11 when it happened. That's really young. Yeah, so pr pretty young. I mean, luckily there are, because it's getting more understood, um, you know, it was, they picked up on it really quickly. You know, I was off the sports pitch. I was straight in to see Matron, which, or boarding school, school nurses, um, you know, for them to then do what's called the return to play protocol. So it's very much, they'll, they'll keep an eye on you for the next three days, you know, make sure you're not doing anything you know, unusual or anything like that. And then you're not allowed to do any sport at all um, for the next sort of three weeks. Because I, I don't know how much you know about concussions. I um, fortunately, I don't think I've had a concussion. I, yeah. I've had knocks in my, and I've had what has been referred to as a stinger. Yeah. Where some things are a little bit weird, but like I'm back to it. I can yeah. answer all the questions. I can pass a test. And I'm, I'm aware that I was probably just, you know, a little bit more force away from having my first concussion. So yeah. I'm fortunate because it, as I'm aware, your first concussion can be the hardest to get. Yep. And then after that- It just gets easier and easier. Easier yeah. and easier. So the, the sort of risk with the concussion is what happens is basically your head gets a massive knock and you get just what like little bleeds in the brain. And I'm really not going to go medical with this because I'm going to be way off. But if you sort of think about it, the, the blood that's um, bled in there um, sort of hardens. 
So almost like a scab. Um, so the risk is that you get hit again and now you've got a solid object in your brain. And then when that moves about, that does the more permanent damage. So that's why they say you do not do any sport for the next few weeks because you've got to make sure your body breaks down those bits of hard blood in your brain so that, you know, if you get hit in the head again, which, you know, rugby, it's inherent danger, but I love the game, so I was happy to take that risk um, so that, you know, you're not going to do more permanent damage on that side of things. And then you did that for a while. Um, did you decide it was sensible to stop playing rugby after a number of concussions or was it other, other interest in sport? A bit of both, really. Um, so I've had, I think, four major concussions. First one happened that one when I was 11. Um, next one, probably when I was sort of 15. Uh, next one was 17. Um, luckily, we'd just come off the, I think it was after we'd come off the back of a Scottish School's Cup victory, which was quite nice. And it was a couple of games later that I got a bad knock. And then the one that was the most serious one, um, which made me sort of decide that I need to stop rugby, um, was at university. It was, I think it was the third year. Um, basically, I was pl playing outside centre. I had the ball and a guy, instead of doing a rugby tackle, decided he would just clothesline me. Um, so he sort of got me under the neck. And if you sort of imagine it like a cartoon, well, this is how my mates would describe it. I kind of rotated around his arm and then just like slammed onto the floor. Not ideal. Um, you know, I felt pretty out of it. I knew I'd taken a big knock uh, and I was like, right, you know, I've just, I'm, I'm used to this. It's happened before. I'll just get myself home, you know, relax, take it easy, stay away from screens, all that kind of thing. But then I, I actually don't remember the next four days. Wow. Yeah. And it took, a, I was literally sat in a lecture with a mate and she was like, Jack, you need to go to hospital. Um, so I went to hospital, had a brain, had a like full on brain scan, the MRI machine. Luckily, they found a brain, um, but they also found loads of bleeds in it. Um, and they sort of said, right, you need to take at least three months off of any sort of sport, um, which having done sport all of my life, I was like, I can't do this again. I need to be active. Um, so yeah, stopped, stopped rugby after that. Did a really stupid thing and decided to go and do boxing instead. Um, but luckily it wasn't, you know, there is, there is contact with the head, but luckily it was very moderated. Um, I assume you didn't go, go in blind without the head protection and that sort of thing. So weirdly enough, it can be more dangerous with the head protection. Because you hit harder. No, because you can't see. So the head protection, it sort of comes like, it sort of comes like that, okay? And the punches that are going to do the most damage uh, are not the ones that come straight at your face. You know, you, you, the way your scale has been designed is that, you know, Assume the ones on the temple in the back. You're yeah, it's the, it's the ones at the side. And if you've basically got a set of blinders like on a, on a horse, you won't be able to see that coming. Um, and even if you see it at the very last second without headgear, you'll instinctively start moving away a little bit, which takes actually quite a lot out of it. But if you can't see it and it just comes and whacks you, then, you know, it's potential for a lot more damage. But the coach I had was really good. I told him, look, I've had concussions before. And he was like, right, well, we'll just make sure we, we take it easy kind of thing. And so how did how did the boxing go? Where did you go with it? Oh, it was gutting. So I was doing university fight night um, and it would, it had been organised. I was in, yeah, I was going to be doing it and it was going to be in six months time. And I was like, right, I'm not going to do what anyone else does, which is, you know, learn how to box three weeks before. I literally jumped straight into boxing gym six months before. Um, training really hard, very regularly. I think I was doing sort of three or four times a week. Um, and then... COVID kicked off, um, so the final I got pushed back by six months. Excuse me. Um, and then I thought, well, I'm already training. I'm already in the swing of things, so I'll just keep on training for the next six months. 
Um, and then it was about two weeks before fight night was meant to happen. Push back another six months. So I'll be doing boxing for 12 months at this point. And actually really loving it. Um, just the amount of fitness, mobility, that kind of thing that you have to do. It's great. Um, and I was like, right, well, I'll just train for another six months. Let's keep going. Um, and then, yeah, it was three days before fight night. They had to cancel it. So luckily, though, I did have a proper sparring match against someone and I beat them. So, oh, yeah. So yeah. you can take away that you never lost and you kind of have exactly. got a win. So it was a, although 100% I, record. Well, I have to, yeah. So, well, <laughs> my coach at one point thought he's getting, getting a little bit cocky in the ring. <laughs> um, so he put me against someone who was six foot four and 21 stone. And I can tell you my ass was handed to me. <laughs> You're welcome. I'm joking. <laughs> it was absolutely not me. I didn't know Jack. Um, so then you've, uh, you've, trip stumbled and, and fallen all the way down from Scotland and Newcastle to London mm-hmm. um, and boxing didn't follow no boxing did not follow at all okay. um, you know I, again it was a sort of self-assessment of you know you're getting hit in the head Jack you've already had some bad concussions you know is this really a smart idea um, so I thought right I'll leave that behind I'll go and find something when I'm down in London um, you know we've been going to the gym I've been going to the gym since probably 14 15 years old so I was like oh, I'll just you know go to the gym um, but then I actually, even though I was getting really strong, you know, I, one of my aims was a thousand pound club, if you know what I mean. Yeah. Um, so I managed to achieve that really happy, but I also noticed I was 81 kilos. I could barely run 10 yards. So I was like, this isn't really, you know, sustainable for my body. So, so just for those unaware, the thousand pound club, uh, in the UK, we obviously use kilos. Um, one pound is about, uh, sorry, one kilo is about 2.3 pounds right 2.2 of 2.204 yeah just you know <laughs> use 2.2 or 2.3 it's fine yeah, um, it's but if you're doing it officially i suppose you need to use that number but effectively what you want is your bench press your deadlift and your squat totals of weight that you can move that are not just you've decided yeah someone has judged that they're good lifts yeah and that total number of, uh, in in weight goes over a thousand pounds you're in the thousand pounds Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So I managed that really happy about it. But I was, yeah, I was just like, this isn't sustainable for me. So I'd sort of heard of this thing called CrossFit um, and sort of, you know, taking the mick out of all of it for, you know, not proper technique on pull-ups and that kind of thing. And one of my mates, she started doing it and I sort of thought, oh, I'll go give it a go. And yeah, really enjoyed it. Um, and those pull-ups that don't look like they're proper techers, they are rough. They are hard. Um, so definitely have a lot more respect for that. But yeah, I've been doing CrossFit now for six months. Um, and that's helped with a bit of weight loss. As I said, I was up at 81. I'm now down to 73, um, which is pretty happy with that. I haven't lost too much strength either. Um, but yeah, so no, really, really loving CrossFit. And then now, uh, well, heard rumors of a thing called Hyrox, um, which you and I are now going to go and have a go at. Yeah, so Hyrox is um, trendy. I think is the way to say it. So obviously, uh, for those that have listened to some previous podcasts, if you haven't, I'd recommend going back to the podcast with Milo McLeod, um, where we spoke about a number of things, but Milo started uh, this sort of club, social club. It's pretty normal across a lot of the big cities. Um, there's run clubs, that sort of thing. He originally set up a run club, um, and then the weather was really bad because it was winter, so he decided to switch it over to this thing called High Rocks. And I remember looking it up and being like, it's CrossFit. And I was similar to you. I was like, I'm not going to be doing these silly pull-ups. Yeah. <laughs> um, in reality, probably wouldn't have been able to do them anyway. Um, so anyway, I was like, do you know what? I'm going to go. And I went and I actually had a really good time. It was very social. There's lots of people there. Um, and I remember going into the office um, and mentioning it to you. And the London one had just gone. 
Yeah. Um, so I had no idea of really what a real Hyrox is. So for those that are, um, have no idea, a Hyrox is effectively eight stations, which are functional stations, and they are separated between one kilometer of running each time. Now, Jack and I um, got speaking and we decided we would book to go to Malaga and we're going to do one in April, April the 13th. Yep. Um, now, there's a couple of worries with me. One, I know it's indoors, but I still feel like it's going to be incredibly hot. Yeah. And it's only April. Two, uh, the time. So I was really stupid. As I said, London had just gone. I thought, you know what? You already do CrossFit. I'm new to it, but I, I back myself. You know, at the time it was like five months to repair. Um, let's look at what the, the top times are. And then we can logically work out what we're going to do. Because this is the other thing with, with Hyrox, sorry, is you don't have to do it alone. So we're doing it as pairs. Now, what that means as well is we both need to run all of the kilometers, but for each stage, there is a goal, whether it's a, a distance on a particular machine uh, or, or a number of reps. We can split that goal as long as the total makes the, the required total. So, um, yeah, the, the thing that I was thinking was these people that are doing it solo are doing it just sub hour if they're winning. Like 55 minutes is incredible time and yeah. they're incredibly fit. But I'm thinking two of us, that means a fresh person all the time. Easy. I'm thinking hour and five, hour and 10 minutes, you know, that should be very achievable. Um, wrong. So wrong, wrong. So and wrong. The problem that we have we have made is we have submitted that expected finish <laughs> to the organizers. Um, so we better not be put in the pro class. <laughs> Because if that happens, <laughs> we have a big problem because for the pros, they increase the weight, they increase some of the reps and that sort of thing. So we're so screwed. For those, of, for those of you that are, are listening to this, um, thoughts and prayers uh, that we don't get put in the pro and uh, we'll see if we can get as close as we can to that time, but absolutely no promises. However, high rocks, is that a completely new form of training to you? Kind of, but not really. So we used to do like a lot of circuit training at school. Um, not to the same extent as sort of high rocks. It definitely wasn't as big of an event. Um, but yeah, to me, it's, it, it's not necessarily new, but it's blowing a lot of cobweb, cobwebs off of there, off of some muscles in the body. Yeah, and I think that's the thing that I have noticed for me. There's a, a lot of different movements going on. And I think the big thing that's been underlined for me between CrossFit and high rocks is that CrossFit is still very strength-based, yeah. whereas high rocks is more um, bodyweight functional, with a bit of extra weight. Yeah. The difference being that sometimes the reps are way higher and insane. Um, either way, your heart rate is going to be through the roof um, <laughs> and you're going to be burning a lot of calories because you're using your entire body. Um, so the thing for me with this, that we're moving forward, is it, it's a slight change in the way I train and I yeah. like that and I can appreciate that. Um, what's your motivation to give it a go? It's just, it's, it's sort of an attitude that I've always had. Of okay. Just a, that fuck it, what's the worst that could happen? Um, so for me, it's just, it's setting myself a challenge. Um, and that's my motivation. It's something something that I've never really, consi really considered doing before. Um, I've always said the excuse, I'm not a runner. You know, I'm, well, you're six foot a lot. I'm five foot fuck all. Um, so I've always claimed oh, I'm not a runner. Because, um, you know, little legs, quite stocky, quite heavy. Um, so I thought, well, you know, why you know, why do I make that excuse? Why don't I just go and give it a go? See if I, see if I can't do it kind of thing. And so you've started running now. How's, how's the running going? 
Yeah, so this is where the ah, fuck it attitude sort of, it, it it's good, but it's also bad sometimes. Um, CrossFit's really good for keeping, for getting your fitness up. Um, and so I think I went on like four or five runs, you know, like, I think there was a 3K, a 6K, maybe a 5K in there somewhere. Um, and then on Christmas Day, to make sure I got out of the cooking, um, I thought, oh, I'll just go give a, give a half marathon a go. And I did it, to be fair. I think I got in an hour 54. Which is a solid time, by the way. Uh, uh, thank you. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I I did it, and with, just with the hour fuck it, and went, did it. Um, but then my feet are still in bits, and we're nearly a month later. So um, I can I can attest because I've done similar things where I've just been and sometimes it's mental. Sometimes mm. I want to push myself for one yeah. reason or another. Um, and you have to be very careful because in attempting to prove that you're mentally stronger than your body is physically, yeah. you can actually do a lot more damage and end oh, yeah. up putting yourself in a situation where you can, then can't train for a few days yeah. after. And so you do need to be careful with that. Um, interestingly. You told me yesterday that you were going to run potentially a marathon this morning and it didn't happen. Yep. Backstory there is you went for one pint, I assume. <laughs> I went for a, for a classic meal. I'm going for one beer. Yeah. Um, but no, I had a, um, one of my best mates was back over from Australia um, and he, he sort of just needed a bit bit of a night out, I thought. And so we're like, ah, you know, I can put that, I'll do, maybe have a go at a marathon another day. But at the moment, I just want to be with a mate, have a lot of, you know, have a fair few beers. Had, I think there was a group of six of us in the end. And yeah, just went and had a night out and just, yeah, a lot of fun. And um, well, we talk about balance a lot of the time. Um, and I feel like there's a lot of people out there that um, find it difficult to let that happen in that they might make that decision and they don't regret that at the time. Mm. This morning when you woke up, obviously you said your mate needed a night out. And yeah. by the sounds of it, you, you enjoyed it. It was yeah, good. Class. Good fun. Um, is there any sort of a guilt or annoyance at yourself because you didn't do a marathon? No, not at all. Good. And, and why? Because I know some people that will be listening to this will be like, if I did that and I chose drinking over doing some exercise, I'd, I'd punish myself. I'd feel awful. Yeah. But that it takes a level of maturity, right? Yeah. I think it's, um, for me, it's the, the fact that I've had the thought of, I'll, you know, I'll, I'll go and give a marathon a go. It means I, I know myself, I will go and give it a go. You know, it might not be, well, it might be tomorrow. We'll see. <laughs> um, but I will go and do it. Um, but it's just sometimes, you know, you've got to read the situation and think, you know, I, I don't see this mate that often at the moment. Hopefully he's moving back to London. But I sort of thought, do you know what? It's more important at the moment for me to go and spend some time with a really good mate and some other mates, um, have a good laugh because I don't, I won't get that opportunity every day. Um, you know, if you wake up a bit earlier, you could do a marathon every day. Not saying that I'm going to do that, by the way. Um, but it was just sort of thinking at, at this point, it's more... Emotionally, for me, it's more important to go be with my mates, have a laugh, that kind of thing than it is for me to go and have a go at a marathon. I think one thing that um, a lot of people are starting to realise today is there's obviously, there's money troubles uh, in every country and people are worried financially and that sort of thing. But one thing that I've noticed growing up um, is time is such a massive currency, which oh, yeah. we take for granted. And you have to appreciate that you've got to give time for yourself and giving time for yourself doesn't necessarily mean you have to spend it all alone and, and do yeah. all sorts of things. Sometimes giving time to yourself is 
giving time to that person that you won't see again for a mm. while. And it's important to do that because you can you can do that run a slight different at a different time. You can yeah. train at a different time. As long as you're getting everything done, yeah. then that's the balance that you should be looking for. And if you're if you're sacrificing a lot of your time and you're passing off things and opportunities that won't come back, they well, those things will be some of the biggest regrets that you'll have. Yeah. And money, honestly, is obviously very valuable. You need to save money. Some people aren't in a position to think about anything other than money, and I mm. appreciate that. However, time is something you definitely won't get back. No. You never know with your money, you could be your last pound and you buy a scratch card and you win a hundred grand. Yeah. I've never known it, but it could happen. There is no chance that I spend one hour on on something and I get a hundred more years yeah. of my life. That that doesn't happen. And so I think it's really, really a good example that whilst yes, you say, oh, I want to do this thing, because it would be really cool to say, yeah. you know, I ran a marathon and it would be good confidence for you, putting it on the back burner because friends and social life sometimes needs to come first. Yeah. And you need to blow off some steam in a different way. Sometimes. Exactly. Yeah. Um so that brings me on nicely into the sort of mental side of sport and balancing things. Um, you said before as well, when when the doctors told you you couldn't do sport for three months after your your last concussion, your last rugby yeah. game, and you decided that wasn't a thing you could live with. Yeah. Why are you so reliant on sport for your mental health? I think it's just, for me, it's always been a good outlet. Um, you know, I've had a bit of a rough day if I just, go on a run, go do some exercise. You know, it, for me, when I'm on the run, it's not the run I'm focusing on. For me, it's a really good time just to s sort of relax and think about, you know, what's going on in my life and see if I can't put some things in perspective or, you know, just sort of think my way through an, an issue that, that's happening um, kind of thing. Yeah, I had some, had some stuff going on a couple of months ago and, you know, my you know, outlet was just, you know, let, let's go on runs. Let's spend a bit of time just really thinking about, you know, what's actually going on. What does it actually mean? Can I actually control it? Or is it something that I have to just be able to let go and say, right, that's that's got to resolve itself. I can't do anything that's going to make that better. So if I start feeling down about it, you know, that there's no benefit to that because I can't control what's going on in the first place, if that makes sense. Yeah. Do you think there's there's been um, sort of changes in maturity? In fact, did you notice changes in the way you think as a result of concussions? Do you think that's impacted your your brain or your the way you think about things sometimes? Whether that's just because you've had them and you're you're wanting to take care of your body as a result, or is it you know there has been a, like a physiological impact? So I think having had concussions, what it's made me do is think further ahead. Um, I had a mate say this to me a year or so ago. This was said, Jack, you're really good at sort of thinking what the long-term effect of something is. You know, whether that be, you know, going for a new job or something like that. Um, you know, I'm sort of, rather than thinking two weeks in the future, I'm sort of thinking like three, four months in the future. Um, because of the fact that I've had these concussions where, because a decision now can be affecting me in three months' time kind of thing. You know, if I go and choose to play rugby... I can be not doing sport in three months if I go and put my head in a stupid place kind of thing. Um, but like a physical thing that my, my good mate who I was out with last night, we, we chat about this pretty regularly because he's had concussions as well, um, just through rugby and that kind of thing. And both of us find that when we're drinking, we like we don't have memory 
a lot quicker than we used to, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. So the blackout. Yeah, effect. well, see, the thing is, is that people will, you know, I've had it before. Someone came up to me and said, oh, chat, thank you so much for the advice you gave me last night. You know, all about, you know, where you're looking to go, how we're going to get there, that kind of thing. I didn't remember that conversation at all. I'd only had two pints by that point. Interesting. So I was still completely put together, still completely there, being able to think clearly, but I couldn't remember any of it. And me and my mate, we we reckon that it is concussions that have done that, just the way that it's done something to our brain. Uh, you know, it's a bit boring, but, you know, it's just managing it. Yeah. Okay. And um, you also, one of the biggest things and another thing that I want to talk about here um, is you're an ambassador for mental health, as well as, you know, you do all this sport and you don't shout about it. Um, you, you, it's part of your life. But one thing that is important to you, um, and you demonstrated in November, just gone, is you're an ambassador for Movember. Um, And you got me involved, and I'm glad you did. Um, I had to sport the lovely moustache, which is now gone. Um, (laughs) Thank God. Yeah. But what was it for you that really drove you to wanting to be an ambassador for mental health? So one thing that I've had the unfortunate uh, experience of is I've had three people in my life who have committed suicide. Um, one of them being a school teacher, um, another one being a boy I was a prefect to, and another one being a mate that I played a lot of rugby with. Um, so for me, it's it's just sort of about you know raising awareness, you know, telling people right, go and have these conversations. Um, and one sort of thing that's come from those people committing suicide in my life, because as school, it's a really close community. We all talk about mental health now. Like my mate with last night, again, you know, it's always, it's always a topic of conversation. It's like, oh, how are you getting on? Yeah, no, good. Right. But you know, how are you mentally? Um, Different question. Yeah. Different question completely. Um, Which, you know, that's why I do the Movember. I, you know, it should be, that should be a question that everyone is asking everyone. Um, Because you can be all right physically, but you can be in an absolute mess mentally. But the thing is, it's very difficult to hide a physical sort of problem very easy to hide a invisible one because it's all inside um so it's for me november is all about getting to know someone and just being able to ask you know how are you really i appreciate that um you might not want to talk too much about uh those situations and i'm very sorry that you've obviously had the had those situations arise uh, in your life and hopefully um for any of the listeners out there it's never something that happens to them but what is that impact? What do you mean? When someone you know, and like you said, you're close to, chooses to make that decision, what's the impact that you have witnessed um, and, and on both yourself, but on the surrounding community as well? Different with the different situations. Um, one of them that I was, a, I was a prefect to, I saw it nearly rip a whole year group apart, but actually they've ended up being really close now. Um, because of that. Um, the other one being the mate that I played a lot of rugby with, um, you know, again, it, it, when it, when it happened, we'd left school. Um, we were a couple of years into university, I think. And suddenly we had, me- I had messages from people who I hadn't chatted to in ages, um, just saying, well, how are you doing? That kind of thing. So that was the kind of impact that it had. Um, weirdly it brought a lot of us closer together, um, kind of thing. And one of the big things that's so difficult with mental health, you obviously spoke about how you 
can disguise it yeah. very easily if you're if you're having a tough time. But you weren't with uh, that particular uh, person at the time of it happening. Well, definitely not at the time of it happening, but around them because you said you were you were yeah. at university. Um, do you think there was ever any sign? The one where I was a prefect too, uh, there were signs and, you know, there were there was support that was in place for the individual. Um, with the other one, no one really saw that one coming. Um, it was, yeah, pretty much out of the blue. It was just a, um, a message on sort of our year group chat of, by the way, guys, this has happened. And how did it, how does it change your perspective on that actual act? Because from my perspective, I'm fortunate enough to not have known anyone very personally or very close uh, that that has happened to. So for me, I'm aware of the idea, I'm aware of what it is, but it's a very different and very harsh reality, I imagine, when someone, or in your case, three people in, in your close network mm. have happened to that. Does it become a completely different term to use? Is it a bit more of a taboo topic that sh you don't want to talk about that? Or is it actually more comfortable because you have experienced it? Yeah, I mean, it, it shouldn't, mental health itself shouldn't be a taboo topic, first of all. It should, it should be something that people chat about regularly. Um, in terms of suicide itself, um, you know, I'm quite happy to, you know, chat about what effect that has had on on my life. I don't tend to talk about the individuals themselves because, you know, of course, yeah. that's their own person. I knew who they were. It's not fair for me to start chatting about because, yeah, yeah, no. you know, you needed to know them um, kind of thing. But you know, it definitely sort of opens up more of the conversation of, oh, look, you know, particularly to the people in my year group, you know, we, we've got the shared experience. We lost someone that we cared about. Um, so it just opens a bit more of a conversation. Which I think is really healthy. Um, and it's probably, you know, why you found sport underlines a lot of you as a, well, having a coping mechanism for things. Yeah. It's very important to have those in place. Um, and you probably are able to identify very quickly when you need to go to the gym yeah. or when you need to go on a run. Yeah. And I think that for me as well, when I discovered running is a totally different mental state yeah. for when I go to the gym. When I go to the gym, I'm not as present as I am when I'm running because I can be on my phone between sets if I really want yeah. to be. And if I'm with someone in the gym, I'm having conversations. Whereas when I'm on a run and I'm by myself, I am locked in on one, focusing on not dying myself in, in terms of, <laughs> stopping spluttering everything like that keeping my pace but two i'm basically in this this room with myself um i might have a podcast playing or some music or something like that but i'm very focused on sorting things out and laying out a roadmap to yeah. get away from any negative feelings negative thoughts um what is it about crossfit that you think helps you the most with that the thing i love about crossfit is the variety um, the fact that the sessions we do are so different that, you know, I can set a goal, but they're not, they might not give me the opportunity to go for that, if that makes sense. So you've just got to be able to sort of think on your feet and go, right, crap, suddenly I've got to go and do handstand pushups. I was thinking we were going to be doing squats today. Um, obviously you get your program. It's just, I'm never organized enough to look at it. Um, but yeah, it's just the, the constant new challenge to come along and the fact that everyone there. Like, don't get me wrong, the CrossFit workouts are shit. <laughs> um, I tend to do them at sort of 5.30 in the morning as well. So at 6.30 on a regular basis, I'm lying on the ground feeling like utter rubbish, having just done a workout. But I can quite happily look to my right and see one of my training partners in the exact same state. 
So it's just quite nice that you sort of your community going through the same horrendous workout that is better for you at the end of the day. Um, but that's that's what keeps me going. The community, the new challenges, that kind of thing. 5.30 in the morning yeah. is very early. It is. Um, but I'm aware we do work nine till six. It's tough to get things in around that time. Um, I also train before work, but I don't go that early. Yeah. Why do you go so early? Um, so for me... My mornings tend to be 5.30 to 6.30 crossing. Um, and then I really like a walk. Okay, I'm from the countryside, so I like being, you know, on, on the two feet, just walking about. So I'll sometimes walk to work, um, which for those who are not aware, it's an hour and a half's walk um, before work. But for me, again, it's, it's another opportunity for me to sort of think to myself, sometimes, you know, someone comes along with me, you know, because I work in a similar area, um, and just have a chat. Um, rather than sort of go on the tube, which is one of the most depressing things to do every day. Um, you know, everyone on the tube is sort of stood there. If you say hello to someone, they think you're a freak. <laughs> um, but it's just, it's a bit more pleasant. Um, and for me, it just starts my day better. You know, yes, I'm up early in the morning, which means I'm pretty knackered when it gets to 9am, but it means my morning is nice and relaxed. It's how I want it to be, um, rather than, you know, going on the tube, that kind of thing, which is always a bit sort of ugh. Yeah, one thing that I realized as well when I started going and, and being active before work, because I am very much a night owl. Like, yeah. I much prefer my evenings. I never had an issue with staying up late to do work or even to work out. I spent countless uh, nights in my summer holidays and stuff away from university in the gym at like 1 a.m. Because yeah. it's just when it was quietest and it was when I worked out best. And so that shift into going before work for me was really difficult. And I can appreciate some people will be sat there going like 5.30 is a joke. And 5.30 is very early. Yeah. And I get up at six and I'm, I'm generally in the gym by seven by the time I've traveled there and got there and everything like that. But the reason for me that it became such a staple is after a while, you do get used to it. Yeah. Like, first of all, first few sessions are going to feel horrible. I felt violently ill. Yeah. Um, and then I was knackered by the end of the day and I was just like how am I going to keep doing this but yeah. your body adjusts you yeah. get used to it the next thing is that your day doesn't become about work yeah so what I quickly discovered is that if I went to the gym beforehand um sometimes if I have done a, a very efficient session or um I woke up and got up a little bit earlier I have time to do something else after the gym before work starts in your case you do a walk uh, it could be going to a cafe, having a nice croissant, yeah. reading a book, something different. And then, and then and then, you go to work and whatever happens at work happens. And then after work, you can go home guilt-free. You've yep. done all your, your exercise, everything like that. Uh, you can get any sort of house chores done as quickly as possible. And then you have the evening to relax. And work becomes a portion yeah. of your day rather than your, your day. day. So whenever you get home, if, you're, if someone says to you, oh, how was your day? Someone that goes, wakes up, goes to work, comes home. Yeah. The answer is whatever happened between 9am and when they finished. Yeah, exactly. And for if I was to ask you that question, it would be like, oh, well, first of all, getting to the gym was a nightmare. Then the, <laughs> yeah. the session and you talk about the session and then you might talk about the walk and what happened on the walk. And then you'd be like, work was all right. Anyway, <laughs> and, and it just yeah. becomes such a small portion. And it's so much uh, more healthy that your life is is again, balanced in that yeah. way. Um, and you're able to have a life outside of things. Exactly. And a lot of people will say, oh, I need to have a life outside of work. So I'll do X, Y, Z in the evening. And then you don't go to bed at a decent time because you're tired and work yeah, every exactly. day. And it's kind of finding that balance for you 
which means that you know you're not living to work yeah you're working to live exactly and that's the that's the right sort of approach yeah. um now a lot of people like i said are going to have their opinions on that <laughs> but also um we have some lovely lovely listeners on this podcast yes um and some of them as a new thing for 2024 um i'm bringing in listener questions now with listener questions they don't know who's coming on they get a profile beforehand yep. and if there's anything that any of them want to ask about uh, that could be related to that profile they can ask and i will choose usually three to four questions uh, and we can we can go from there so the first question today uh is anonymous mm -hmm. um and the question is work balance with fitness now, yep. we've kind of just talked about this a little bit, but you don't just do CrossFit, you do running. Yep. So how do you tie that in with work as well as CrossFit and trying to balance the whole thing with a weekend in there as well? It's, oh, it just depends, really. Um, for me, it's being able to reflect and look what my sort of state is at that point in time. Um, like I said, I know you've mentioned before, that, you know, I gym every morning. This week, I've taken a week off because... Work was quite busy. Um, I was quite stressed out. And so for me, going to the gym, getting doing those early mornings, for me, was actually going to be more of a detriment. But I only knew that because I, I know myself quite well. Um, so it's just being able to really think, you know, yes, I could go and do a 10K run. Um, you know, I've already done a CrossFit session today. I was at work for, what was it, nine hours. Um, but, you know, I could do that 10K run or I can actually just let myself recuperate. If it's been a busy day, just relax let the body heal itself and then no, just make the promise to yourself. I'm going to get that done in the next couple of days, you know, that kind of thing. So it's just being able to reflect upon yourself. How well do you actually know yourself and sort of acting with that? Okay, cool. So the next question uh, is from Ruby Lola, friend of the show, uh, host of the, the personal best podcast. Um, she's also been on herself. She wants to know, do you think CrossFitters are the fittest athletes? I think if you take the average CrossFitter, they are going to be fitter than the average sort of gym goer, runner, that kind of thing. But if you ask them to go and do something specific, so if you said to a CrossFitter, go and run a marathon, they're not gonna they're not gonna be posting the most amazing times. They'll be better than the average person, but they're not gonna you know be winning it or anything. Um, and again, if you ask CrossFitter to go into a strength competition, they're not gonna be winning it but they're going to be quite high up there. So I think what CrossFit fitters are good at is just being generally good at most things, but never amazing at one thing in particular. Okay, cool. I like that. Um, so I've got two more questions. Um, one is from Abhishek Jani, and he wants to know, how do you personally pick yourself up from a downtime in life? Putting things in perspective. Um, so... What I like to do is sort of, if I don't, I'm going to use the gym as an example. If I sort of go to the gym and, you know, I was looking to get a new PB on my bench press. I was looking to do 120 kilos and I was working my way up, got hundred kilos, nice and easy. 110, easy. 115. Yeah. It's starting to get a bit rough now. 117 comes up, put 120 on, fail. I was really hacked off. Um, as I was building myself up to this, I was getting the diet right. I got good sleep, you know, really sort of everything was in place. Did all the, did everything for it. Everything was in place. The 120 should have come up. Didn't come up. I was pretty hacked off. 
Um, I know it sounds like a little thing, but you know, prepared for it. Um, but for me, it was sort of stepping back in that moment and going, how many other people do I know that are able to bench 117 kilos at, well, I've probably got 78 kilos body weight there. And I sort of thought, well, you know, really not that many. So in reality, yes, I had that goal that I haven't hit, but in me trying to get to that goal, I've already outclassed a lot of people. Um, so I really should just be proud with what I've got. I'll keep going for it. I'm still going for the 120. Um, but it's just being able to reflect on what you've what you've achieved in trying to get yourself in a position to even attempt what you want to do. And what if it's something completely rogue? Something from another walk of life uh, puts you in a pretty down place, pretty yeah. bad place. Um, again, we've already spoken about some examples of that. But how, how do you pick up the pieces of yourself and keep yourself moving forward? It's just kind of identifying what you have control of. Um, and then also how you then put your plans in place in reaction to that. Okay. I think it's good. Take, it's still taking that step back in perspective, yeah. but really focusing on what you actually have control over. Exactly. Um, and then doing what you can with exactly. that. And you can only do what you can. Yeah. Awesome. And the last one um, is from Johnny Marriott. And he wants to know... The best advice for regular gym goers with results that have stagnated? Um, this is going to sound really basic and really stupid, but if you change something, something will change. So if you found that your weights aren't going up at all, try something different. I can I can tell you an exact example. This was when I was doing back squat. Um, really trying to push it up. Um, I think at the time I was doing... 140 and I was pretty stuck on 140 um you know continues doing loads of squats trying to get it get myself stronger 140 was feeling like it was coming up easier all the time as soon as you put 145 on dead and I was like right okay well, what can I go and do let's go and do front squats so completely ignored the fact that I wanted to do better on back squat when did front squat was doing that managed to get it up from 80 kilos up to 120 and then the first session back on my back squat I was up at 150 so it's just sort of try something else that's still related to what you're trying to do um and do that for a bit and then come back to what you're doing change something and then yeah something will change in the end yeah and, and one thing that I think is there's so much that goes into making you know growth happen in all walks of life but especially in the gym you need to have good rest you need to have good uh, nutrition you need to be able to be consistent yep. i think one of the other things that's massively overlooked and i need to pick myself up on sometimes as well is for the average gym goer that goes in maybe you do a push pull leg split right intensity in workouts is often one of the biggest biggest problems if you are the person that goes in and sits on your phone for two to three minutes between each set and you do a set of five, and then you do it again, and you do it again, maybe you do three to five sets of that same exercise, and you're expecting it to improve every week when you're doing that exercise once, the likelihood of improvement is very minimal. Yeah. And one thing that I think is very applicable with things like Hyrox and CrossFit is you are you don't get the opportunity for that rest. You are pushed to your absolute limit in every single session. And the only thing that really affects you not being able to improve is you might get ill, you might be tired, it might be your nutrition, that sort of thing. Yeah. However, each session you go, you're giving it your absolute all. And so for anyone that is struggling and potentially plateauing, maybe it's worth asking yourself, are you giving it 110% in every session or are some weeks you're being nice to yourself 
so that you can be better at different exercise in the gym. Like sometimes we've, you've probably been guilty going to the gym if you want to max out on shoulder press, but the shoulder press machine is in use, you have to use something else first. I'm not going to go and do my max on that machine or push myself too much because I'm, I'm here for the shoulder press. Yeah. And then the shoulder press isn't as good anyway because you did something beforehand. Yep. And so then you end up in that stumble and you're like, oh, well, neither of those was good. And then it happens week after week after week. And focusing on the intensity when you do get the opportunity to do something might be the thing that you're ignoring. And that's quite often for yeah. Um, so that would also me weighing in on it there a little bit, but bringing it into sort of your CrossFit with AMRAPs, as many reps as possible, that sort of thing is a great way of pushing yourself yeah. to a new a new limit. Because when I'm doing an AMRAP, it took me so long to understand what that was, by the way. <laughs> when I'm doing something that's AMRAP, I don't count what I'm doing. You do it. All I'm aware of is when the coach says, stop, I've done everything I can. Yeah. And as long as I'm doing that every session, then those the number of reps is probably going up but I'm not so aware of it. I'm just focusing on keeping going and getting it done. Yeah. Um, and, and so that's worth mentioning. I think it's, well, it's all of those things that if you set yourself a target, when you get close to it, that's when it starts getting rough because you're like, oh, I'm nearly there, nearly there. Oh, right, I'm starting to get sore now. Okay, no, am I going to make it? Kind of thing. But if you don't set that target almost, you just say, right, I'm just going to go as hard as I can for as long as I can. Then you sort of keep blowing past your old PBs and that kind of thing. Yeah. Awesome. Okay. So there's a final question that I will be giving all of my guests moving forward. And it's a bit of internal reflection. So if you could give yourself three pieces of advice for different points in your life. So you were locked in a room with a previous version of yourself. What would those three pieces of advice be? Um, first one, quote from a fish. I think I mentioned this earlier. Just keep swimming. Just keep going. Trust in yourself. If you're putting the right sort of pieces in place, it will all come together, but you've just got to keep going. Um, you know, I'd definitely say that was a, a good bit of thing to have, you know, like applying for uni, trying to get a job, that kind of thing. If you can honestly say I'm putting all the, the right effort in the right places, it will come off. Um, another one, um, it's actually a scene in Creed, um, one of the best motivational films ever. Um, Sylvester Stallone says to Michael B. Jordan, he puts him in front of the mirror and says, that is your hardest opponent, the person looking back at you. So if you, the way I take that is that if you can say to yourself, I am 1% better than I was yesterday, that's a win. You know, it doesn't matter if it's 100%, doesn't matter if it's 1%. As long as you are there to keep on improving all the time, that is the thing that matters. Um, doesn't really matter what the end goal is. It's good to have them, but as long as you can always say, I'm improving myself, I think that's always something good to have. And that, again, something at university, you know, am I making sure that, you know, because at university, no one's really pushing you, really. So can you rely on yourself to keep on improving that little bit every day? Third bit of advice is sometimes you just got to say, fuck it <laughs> um, and give it a go. Um, yeah, so ended up, the example of this is I've said previously, I'm not really a runner, um, but on Christmas day to get out of the cooking, I just said, oh, fuck it, let's try a half marathon. Let's actually see what I'm capable of at the moment. And that is a good way of just almost taking a snapshot of where you are at that point in time um, and seeing, you know, where, where are my limits at the moment? Where are my weaknesses? Um, you know, I've done that in terms of getting a new job. Um, when I was, when it was COVID, 
I grew up in the countryside. I know how to operate machines. Um, I was looking for something to do. Uh, and I heard that one of the tractor contractors needed someone. So I was like, well, fuck it, let's give it a go. Um, and yeah, I had one of the best summers ever. Um, just because it's the, the backing yourself in that second. Just say, yeah, let's give it a go. I think that's massive. And, and for people trying new things, um, the fuck it mentality will help you lose the fear of failing. Yeah, or something like if you had gone out on Christmas Day and for one reason or another, you were unable to finish the half marathon. Yeah. It wasn't that serious. It wasn't yeah. like you were competing. It was just a goal for yourself. And it didn't. if it didn't come off, it didn't come off. At least you knew where you were and you have a goal to yeah. work towards now. If it does come off, holy shit, I just ran a half marathon. <laughs> exactly, yeah. You know, like it's a, it's a win-win. You just got to put away the, the fear of failing just yeah. by saying, fuck it, let's see what happens. Yeah. I think that's a really good one to take away. So thank you for that. Now there's one extra new bit that's coming in. Ooh. You don't know who's going to be next sat in that chair. Okay. What would you like to ask that person anyway? I don't know. It's a good question. Um, have you ever, when you've been upset, reflected on it and seen, did I actually just hold myself to my standards rather than someone else's? Okay. I like that. So for those listeners that have been excellently listening with all it is today uh, you can find that out in the next episode however today i think we'll, we'll wrap it up so thank you very much for your time no, thank Jack. you um thank you very much for everyone listening where can all of the lovely listeners and some viewers find you uh on instagram uh jdiggle43 well will i be able to give a quick shout out of course so i have a really cool mate uh he's called jamie tours and what he's started is something called the happy lifting club um, he's based up in Scotland near Stirling, um, and he's sort of a PT in terms of your weightlifting, but he also does the mental health side of things as well. So with him, what you're doing is you're getting stronger, but you're also looking more at your mental side. And I think that's something that is, you know, it's just a good idea. And so if you're up near that area and want that kind of thing, go and have a chat with Jamie Tours. Excellent. Okay. Well, uh, again, thank you everyone for listening. Um, You've found the podcast already, so I don't need to necessarily tell you where it is. But if you want to find us on other other social media platforms, uh, it's at mindsets underscore podcast on TikTok, Instagram, YouTube. You know where to find it now. Um, likewise, my name is Angus Cook. Uh, my Instagram and social media is also at Angus Cook. All one word. I got there quick before anyone else managed to get there. Um, so please do follow, subscribe, share, like it, all of that good stuff. You have absolutely no idea how much each one of those ones means. Um, it means we can grow, we can tell more stories, we can discover more things together and ultimately become better people. Um, so once again, thank you very much, Jack, for today. Thank you guys very much for listening. And I look forward to seeing you in the next episode. Oh,